Founded at the beginning of the UK lockdown, A Bit Lit is about conversation, celebrating and exploring theatre, literature and creative work across all periods and of all kinds. We've talked to professional wrestlers and about Ghostbusters and medieval sex positivity. We've looked at the histories of race, gender and sexuality. We followed migrating coconuts and the history of wine and cheese. We've gone from Jane Austen and Shakespeare to EastEnders via the history of early television, young adult fiction, photography, animation and documentary making. And with over 100 films already, many other subjects as well. Join the conversations at our website, abitlit.co or on YouTube and follow us on Twitter at abitlit. Satnam, hello, how are you? Good, thanks. How are you, Andy? I'm really good, thank you. I'm delighted to have you here and to celebrate your new book, uh, Empire Land. Congratulations on the book. And we're speaking just a few days after the Australian uh, Prime Minister celebrated the book on Twitter. So congratulations on that as you... um, as the book starts informing international policy. Yeah, it was slightly unexpected, that. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, we start our films by asking contributors to introduce themselves and tell us a little bit about their work. So would you mind doing that, please? I'm Satnam Sangera. I'm a journalist for The Times, where I write columns, I write features, I, I interview people, I write about books and art and all sorts of things. But also, I'm an author, so I've written three books. I've written a memoir, which is a book about my family life called The Boy with the Top Knot. I've written a novel called Marriage Material, which is about a family living in a shop in post-war Britain. Mm-hmm. And now I've written Empire Land, which is popular history. So all my books are very different. I mean, is it all right to start, start there and what it's like yeah. to be the author of three, you know, of books in three different genres? Um, yeah. What is it like moving between those different, those different kind of uh, booky, bookish worlds? I would say, um, if you want to be a writer, don't do what I do, because I think <laughs> the way you make it, is you do one thing and you do it really well. So you're J.K. Rowling or you're Stephen King who does thrillers, you know, and I've done three different books which are seemingly unrelated, but I think looking back at them, there is a running theme and that's history because my first book was about the history of my family. Mm. The second book was about the history of my community in Britain. Mm. And I guess with a new one, I've gone even further back with the history of my country. So as I get older, I'm getting more and more interested in history, I think. That's fascinating. And, and the book is, the, the new book is so interesting on engaging with that history. You engage with it in a number of different ways. So um, you're, you're reading and being very generous about a lot of academic work, which often isn't public facing. You're traveling to particular countries and you're engaging with local communities. You're reflecting on um, the communities that you yourself grew up, grew up in. So there's kind of different kinds of personal history and more um, traditional kinds of history, I guess, which you're then um, remixing. Uh, so yeah, is it, is it possible to tell us a bit about that process? I'm not a historian and actually I wouldn't really say I'm a reader of history books, mm. you know. Um, I tend to read novels, so history books for me don't have the characters, the plot, the humour and the dialogue I look for in books. Mm. So in a way this is a book for people who wouldn't normally read history, written by someone who would normally not read history. I just felt I needed to understand British empire because it's the biggest thing that ever happened to this country. Mm. You know, it's the biggest empire in human history. And also it explains why I'm here. Mm. And yet I knew very little about it. And also there's very few accessible books. Mm. So I guess I aimed to write a book for someone who didn't know much like myself. You're disarmingly frank about the various kinds of learning you're doing as you're, as you're writing the book. And you've asked really important questions about 
where an earth empire is in the national curriculum. There's a kind of national denial about our, our em empire past. Um, so you talk both about your own educational experiences and also ask why it's still, still not there. Yeah, no, it's peculiar. I mean, in this country, we don't really see ourselves as the country that had the greatest empire in human history. We see ourselves as the country that won World War II the country that beat the evil racist Germans. Mm. And I think there's all sorts of reasons for that. But what it does, it helps us forget that there was at least a century when we were the evil racists. I mean, British Empire in the 19th century was an exercise in white supremacy. Mm. And uh, so I think it's really problematic that we don't remember that. Then what Britain was doing in the 19th century was a huge inspiration for what Hitler wanted to do in, in Germany. That, that war of kind of two, two halves of a, of a binary was really a war between people who were inspiring each other in lots of different ways. Yeah, and Hitler talked, talked specifically about how he admired the way the British dealt with the Indians in India. Mm. And actually, the racist ideas that developed in British Empire were exported to large parts of the world. I mean, mm. America, for instance, you know, the way black people talked about, the way slavery functioned was essentially British. Mm. One of the things that's really fascinating about the prose in your book and, um, you know, I, I kind of am a professional historian, although not a very good one, but I, I kind of read it in that from that professional identity, I guess. And um, your pronouns are really interesting in the book. So you talk about our history in a way which I think a historian wouldn't do. And I was really interested in that because, again, the book was so in interested in challenging um, history as not being something personal. So it was kind of um, that pronoun felt like it was part of that insistence on thinking about that history is personal, that history impacts each of us as individuals. Um, I yes. don't know if you, how much thinking you did about pronouns. Only afterwards. I mean, because I'm not a historian, I had the book read by five or six historians in case I've made some really obvious errors. And a couple of them said, you know what? When On the first day at university, what you're told is to never use the pronoun we. It's like the number one mm. idiot thing you do, right? And I wanted to keep it because actually, because I'm brown, you know, there's an idea that we don't really belong in Britain. There's an idea, there's colonial history and there's British history. And actually, I think it's the same. Mm. And I did, made a documentary on an empire massacre last year. And I used the word we without thinking about it. And I had so many letters from viewers saying, it was amazing that you used the word we. And I'm like, well, it is my history, you know. So I thought it's very important to use that pronoun. Although, you know, if I was a professional historian like you, I probably wouldn't. I mean, you make, you're making me wonder if that's true anymore. Like, I think you're doing such important things with that word and making us ask questions about who does and doesn't belong within within those histories. And I guess that pronoun's going to feel even more interesting as the book gets wider and wider international attention, given what we said at the beginning of the film about um, its reception in Australia. Um, I mean, that reaction from, um, from the Prime Minister was exactly about uh, where Australia sits in the narratives that you're telling so it's it's a, it feels like a really excitingly provocative pronoun for for the for readers actually you're making me think about it because i didn't expect the book to be published in america for instance but mm -hmm. it is, now is and i've got to rewrite it slightly and, and i guess i've got to think about that the pronoun um i think i'm going to keep it mm. i think that's absolutely the right thing to do um the book has inspired uh, lots of excitement and lots of positive reaction. But um, I'm really sorry to see that you've also had to deal with the most extraordinary array of racist um, pushback from um, from the book. And um, I've seen lots of overtly racist um, content coming your way. But the thing that really took my breath away was someone who said, um, and I'm quoting them directly here, I'm afraid, 
they said people emphasize the negative side of slavery too much. People emphasize the negative side of slavery too much. A comment which just blew my mind. Um, are you willing to tell us a little bit about what it's been like having that kind of um, response thrown back at you? Yeah, I mean, I heard that that very comment when I went on a tour of a slavery plantation in America as well. Um, yes, I mean, The Guardian, I've had so much racist abuse that The Guardian rang me and they said they, they were doing a new story about it. And I felt very self-conscious because I think David Oyusoga, a black historian of colonial Britain, gets much more racist crap than I do because he's, he's on TV as well. But they wrote the piece and they interviewed William Darimple, a white historian of colonial India, and he said this amazing thing. He said he's been writing about this stuff for 20, 30 years, and he's never had a single message from a British reader of the kind I do. Yeah. And that actually, I actually had to sit down when I read that because it, it showed for me that a lot of the reaction I'm getting is because of my skin color. Mm. And I think it made me realize that it's only now that the imperial story, the history of British Empire, is being told by brown people. Mm. So it's the first time someone like David Olisoga is making... BBC documentaries, and I'm making documentaries and having a, a high-profile book. Mm. And this is very troubling mm. to people who've always had, had their history told to them by white men of a certain age. And essentially, when you're talking about empire, you're talking about racism, because mm. British empire, anyway, you're talking about white people conquering and sometimes enslaving brown people. Mm. So when you're brown yourself, that is just massively triggering for a lot of people. Of course, and and apparently for white people too. And I guess one of the things you're showing is is um, how much in denial collectively the country is. Again, returning to things like what it teaches us in school, um, that it's a country which which is in in denial about its racist past and present. Um, and as you say, we're now seeing uh, people who have been marginalised by those very histories reclaiming those narratives. Um, and I wonder if the history of Britain in the last five years has made that feel particularly provocative and that we've just been through the, the Brexit process, which itself felt like a really strange um, result of empire, but also a refusal to confront empire. Britain has this, and particularly perhaps England, has this fantasy about being colonised that was really overt through the conversation about um, the EU. Um, so I don't know if yeah. our own historical moment has, has changed both what you've written, but also the responses you've had. Yeah, I mean, I guess the people, a few, the people who have reviewed the book badly have generally been political writers who are very passionate about Brexit. And I actually think my point that Brexit is a symptom of empire nostalgia is the least important point in the book. You know, it's happened. I don't particularly want to dwell on it. I think it's much more important that actually since, uh, since I wrote the book, we've had Black Lives Matter which has created a massive interest in colonial history in the way in which, you know, empire may have helped create systemic racism. And then we've had a massive backlash mm -hmm. in the political sphere. So the right wing of the Conservative Party who realise they can weaponize the empire conversation and it works really well for them. So you have, you know, Boris Johnson saying he's going to defend the Churchill statue with his last breath, even though no one's going to tear down the Churchill statue. You've got Robert Jenrick saying he wants to introduce legislation to protect statues. You know, in the week, we have the highest death rate from COVID in the world. You know, I think we had um, the culture secretary the other day saying he wanted to chain himself to the statue of Nelson because some woke people are saying he was a slaver and should be brought down. Mm. So, why do they do this? I think they do it because it plays really well with the public who have this 
idea that to be proud of being British, you should be proud of British history. It makes no sense because what does it mean to be proud of 500 years of history? You know, are you proud of slavery? You're proud of abolition? Are you proud of me? Are you proud of you know, mass immigration from empire? It makes no sense. It's like saying you're proud of biology or, you know, sand. It makes no sense, but it works. Yeah, thank you. And I think about people who are proud of sand. That idea is blowing my mind. Um, I, I like to think maybe crabs are proud of sand. I don't know. Um, uh, I have to sit with that one a bit longer. Um, I mean, it, again, it's not just been statues, has it? I mean, recently, things like um, attacks on the National Trust, not just by the press, but by prominent political figures. Um, and this idea that history is only good if it tells you good things about yourself and your country's past feels so prominent in, in the political debate now around history. Um, and your book makes a, a really important intervention in the debate around statues in particular that says rather than tearing down statues, perhaps we should think about erecting new statues, statues which are more positive. Um, do you mind telling us a bit about that? Because of this culture where Black Lives Matter say one thing and then the right-wing Tories say the opposite, I think we need to break away from that. We also need to break away from feelings. This idea that empire feels you should fill you with shame mm. or pride. It's too complicated. All we need to do is try to understand it. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways to disengage from that is to get away from the very confrontational idea of pulling down statues, because that gives the opposition a, a kind of accusation that you're trying to delete things. It's not true, but it's much more constructive to use your energy to put up, put up things, you know? So to make art about British empire, to make films about colonial history, and also to put up statues of all those imperial immigrants to uh, Britain who were forgotten as soon as they died. You know, there were Indians, you know, in the 1600s. Queen Elizabeth I was complaining about there being too many black people in London in 1600. Mm -hmm. And there's so many characters that we could celebrate. And I think that's a much, much more positive thing to do. Yeah, thank you. Do you mind then going back to the book itself and just telling us perhaps a moment or two from the experience of, of writing the book. Um, the book feels so wide ranging geographically and historically um, that I don't want to kind of push you towards a particular thing. I'd like to give you free reign. Um, and if you feel that the book is too long ago, don't worry about this. But yeah. um, I mean, are there particular moments from, from writing the book, from presenting some of the TV shows that went into it um, that stick out for you as part of your yeah, process? I guess one of the most important points I have to make in the book is that the reason we're a multicultural society is because we had a multicultural empire. The reason I'm here today talking to you as a brown Indian, a brown person, um, is that, you know, a bunch of Brits went over to India and invaded it in the 17th and 18th century. And we forget that. I think there's an idea, there's a narrative that actually we arrived uninvited to take advantage of British hospitality. Mm. And that's why we should celebrate the figures who were here hundreds of years ago. And I guess the, the figure that comes to mind is Dean Mohammed, mm -hmm. who's this Indian, amazing Indian guy who came over with an Irish uh, officer from the East India Company. He went to Ireland first, you know, he married an Irish woman. Then he came to London and he, he opened the first curry house in Britain. So he introduced curry houses to Britain, which is an amazing thing to do. And then he, he wrote a book in English. He was the first ever Indian to write a book in English, which is amazing. The book was terrible. But, you know, he was the first. And then he had this whole new career in Brighton where he set up these kind of massage parlors. He called it shampooing and he called himself a shampooing surgeon. Mm -hmm. And it seems to involve kind of, you know, pushing on people's flesh and so on. And he did break a few, few people's arms. But 
he became wildly successful. And the king and the Prince of Wales became customers. He got a royal warrant and then he died. But again, like so many of these figures, completely forgotten after he died. And I think we can remember him. Absolutely. Thank you. What an extraordinary compliment of things to have on your CV as well. Introducing curry, very bad writing, and then dangerous shampooing. <laughs> <laughs> we helped popularize the word shampoo, you know, which is an Indian word. Incredible. Um, how, did you spend much time with his writing when you talk about it being bad writing? Obviously, we're a, we're a literary um, film series, so we're always interested to talk about this. And um, I, I personally find the idea of bad writing really really fascinating it makes me want to ask you know why did the person write it why do we feel this way about it why do we react against it um i don't know how much time you got to spend with him as a, a writer but do you mind telling us a bit more about the bad writing i spent a lot of time with it because there was a point at which this book was going to be a biography of him ah. or a screenplay or something so i read everything by him and the thing is when you first learn a language or when you first start writing you imitate don't you you copy people yeah. and so he was imitating what was popular at the time and what was popular at the time was his incredibly turgid travels. And so he doesn't concentrate on the things that modern readers would want to know, which is how did you feel when you came to Britain? What did it look like? How, did, how cold was it? I mean, what were the people like? What did they say to you? None of that. Instead, it's this very highly stylized, imitative prose, which is quite dense. And I guess if his intended readership is white British people, perhaps, I don't know, um, then he might not think to even provide that kind of content because he may feel he's just reporting back to them what they already know although i'm sure he wouldn't be if he did do that it'd be really fascinating but i wonder if that's also, also he, about about readership he did the, he copied a lot he plagiarized quite a bit and that's because plagiarism is quite a modern concept mm. i mean people copied whatever they felt like in in, in his age but now we're obsessed with it mm. i think we're yeah. too obsessed because i think every writer you know copies i think what's the line is that if you copy from one person, it's plagiarism. But if you copy from lots of people, it's inspiration. <laughs> you know, I think every writer takes a lot. I mean, you have so many influences yeah. and that carries on as you, as you go through your career. Yeah. It leads me really nicely to the next question, which is really about your own model for, for this book. Because if you, as you've said, people aren't really writing popular histories of this, hist of, of this history. Um, so did you have a sense of, of models or of your own intended readership um, you've already hinted that the project changed from a biography to a much, much more wide study uh, mm. and account of, of history. Um, yeah. D what were your models for the book, if you had any at I all? guess what I really wished for uh, when I began researching this was it an accessible book about British history written by Bill Bryson, because I think he's wildly underrated and his books on science and travel managed to digest and make accessible really complicated things. Mm. And so I, I kept on wishing that he'd written it, written something, mm. and it definitely doesn't exist. I mean, every book you pick up on British history is at least 500 pages long and very dense. And so I guess that was my model. Mm. And I guess my other model was probably my first book in that that was also about a very difficult subject, schizophrenia. I wouldn't pick up a book about schizophrenia, mm. but I, I found a way of making it accessible, which is basically making it human and making it a personal story. Mm -hmm. And so I put probably more of myself in than a, a professional historian would. Actually, a professional historian wouldn't put anything of themselves in, would they? Well, I, I, I guess I don't want to characterize all of my colleagues, um, but uh, yeah, a traditional historian wouldn't. I, I like to think that um, the form is changing quite a bit, particularly at the moment. So um, I feel like you could be leading us in a particular direction which, where other people may be following. Um, but yeah, certainly a traditional history would not look like this. Yeah, 
And I think I, I did it also because there's an idea that brown people are too emotional to be able to tell this history. You know, they're too involved because they've been colonized. They're going to be too emotional in the way that people talked about female writers. Mm -hmm. But I think that is part of the backlash that David Oyusoga and I are getting. I mean, people literally write me letters saying, you've let your race influence you too much. You haven't been independent enough, you know? And yeah, I think things are changing. It really astonishes me that reaction, not not just because, um, you know, I don't agree with it, but that the, it's such an inaccurate account of your book, which is incredibly fair-minded and temperate and often insists on weighing up um, what colonization felt like from the point of view of the, of the colonizers. Um, and for example, addresses um, when atrocities happen kind of on both sides. So I find that a really odd reaction to engage with. And I, I presume you must do too, because it's just not true of your book. Yeah, I, th I suspect that 5% of my abuse abusers have read the book. Often they're responding to a review or a serialization piece, or sometimes just an headline. Or sometimes just an impression they've got of your book from your skin color on your Twitter page, you know? Yeah. And so the, one of the most amazing things is that people who pick up the book thinking they're going to hate it, write to me saying, oh my God, it wasn't what I thought mm. and you've changed my mind. And that's a really powerful thing to hear. Yeah, that is. That's really fantastic uh, and exciting. Thank you. Satnam, we're, we're reaching the end of the, the conversation now, um, and our um, usual way to finish a film is to ask what the word literature means to you, and you're welcome to think about that professionally or personally. You might even want to think about it from the point of view of the history that you've just written, and, you know, we've just been talking about bad literature, for example. Um, but yeah, do you mind telling us a bit about what that word means for you? For me, actually, I think about it a lot because I have two careers. I have journalism and I have books, mm -hmm. and I guess some of those books you could call literature. I mean, it's quite pretentious to claim that, but the way I see literature in relation to journalism is, is that literature for me is about asking questions mm -hmm. and journalism is about answering questions. Mm -hmm. So the thing about books and literature is that it can tolerate ambiguity, whereas journalism is not about ambiguity, is it? It's about explaining things and answering questions. Yeah, that's completely fascinating. Thank you. Um, one of the things that really interests me about this question in relation to your book is um, I, I think the word literature is sort of an 18th century invention in the English language. That's when the English sort of adopt that weird French, slightly Latin word. And they sort they seem to do it in the name of, of white men. So I also wonder if there are kind of power structures built into, into that. You know, things like the novel, for example, have been claimed in the 18th century to distinguish a male art form from the things that women writers are doing at the time and also women readers are consuming at the time so um yeah i also wonder if there's a kind of colonial legacy to the very idea of literature but i love your idea that literature is all about asking questions that's a much that's a much happier way of thinking about it yes well i i, I confront this in the book when i i realize i've been colonized and i, I read edward said mm -hmm. you know and i and i realize that i have been my education has taught me to value the western literary forms like the novel and the Hollywood film over Bollywood and over Indian literary forms. Mm. And so, yeah, I think it's a very interesting question. Mm. Yeah, thank you. Um, Salam, thank you so much for talking to us today. And thank you for the book, which I think is really exciting. And we'll be remapping um, our sense of this history for an awful lot of, of readers. Uh, I learned tons from it and I particularly value where you've just ended as well. The book is so uh, rich in confronting um, 
your your educative past you know things you were taught we, we were all taught to value and not to, not to value um and i think that this book is going to change those things and i'm excited to see that how that happens thank you hope so thank you andy <laughs>